Inside the Post-Dispatch. Hi, Liz. Hey, Beth. How's it going? It's going really well. I'm very excited for today's episode. I'm going to say that every single time, no matter what. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, I didn't really have breakfast today. And I think this conversation is really, really going to make me regret that oh. even more than I already do. You know, I didn't think about that before we started. So <laughs> listeners, if you haven't eaten recently, please grab a snack now because we're going to be talking about a lot of wonderful food. Delicious food. Yes. So today we have with us Ian Frobe, the restaurant critic for the St. Louis Post Dispatch. Welcome, Ian. Hello, Liz and Beth. Hello. Uh, that is an amazing radio voice. I agree. Putting us to shame over here. Um, so uh, we're welcoming Ian here today to talk about the SPL 100, which returned on April 9th, and it was in print April 10th, uh, featuring an unranked alphabetical list of your picks, Ian, for the best restaurants in the St. Louis area. Uh, and first to rewind a little bit, I wanted to mention that, and I really hate to rewind to 2020, uh, but this is the first edition kind of semi-resembling the pre-pandemic STL 100. Um, so how did you approach developing the list this year? Well, it was, you know, it was kind of both a two-year process and a two-month process. Um, one frantic and one that seemed to go on forever. But, uh, you know, obviously the the 2000, or excuse me, the 2020 edition came out right before, you know, we realized what was going to happen. Um, and there wasn't any question of doing a list in 2021. We did kind of a special issue telling some stories about restaurants instead. But I think, you know, the number of new restaurants that have opened in the last two years and the number of restaurants that have continued to, you know, in spite of everything, stay open and put out great food and um, just demanded, I think, uh, uh, some recognition. Um, and so, you know, I had two years worth of trying, you know, especially all these new restaurants, but then I you know, really needed to rush and get back and check in on some of the established restaurants, both mm-hmm. those that have been on the list before and those that are sort of always in the mix um, for, for possible inclusion. So yeah, it was it was both a very long process and then a very, very frantic uh, two, two and a half months. And could you tell us a little bit more about that process? I think our reader, our listeners might have an idea of, ooh, you get to eat all of this wonderful food. <laughs> but what does that actually look like? Um, it looks like going to restaurants, you know, twice a day, sometimes even three times a day. Uh, you know, we... Part of what I intend this list to be and what I hope is its advantage is it really is, you know, each of these restaurants in here, um, especially the ones that have been around for several years, I've gone back to, mm-hmm. you know, and and I can at least say that, you know, it's a fresh look at the restaurant. Even if the restaurant hasn't changed that much, I've at least been back. So that requires, you know, you can sort of look at the list and see, you know, multiply 100 um, and add excuse me, add to that 100, the restaurants I went back to and didn't make the list, you know, you're looking at 150 visits. Um, And, you know, that's usually spread out over a full year um, or at least three, four, five months for the the returning visits. In this case, we didn't have that much time uh, thanks to the Omicron surge. Uh, But but yeah, it's, it's just a lot of going out and thinking about the restaurants and, you know, drafting a lot of lists and crossing things out and moving things around spreadsheets. Um, It's it's both exciting and also very unglamorous. Was it easier for you to do this year without having rankings? You used to rank the top 25. Right. Um, it was and wasn't. I mean, it, it it was decided pretty early on that we weren't going to rank them mm-hmm. um, just because it just didn't seem fair. Every restaurant has come back from the pandemic. Um mm-hmm you know, the worst of the pandemic, I should say, uh, at its own speed. Um, you know, some are fully staffed and it's like nothing has happened. Some, you know, you can see that they are, you know, doing the best they can with short staff in the front of the house, in the kitchen. Um, and it's just, it's not, you know, it, it just didn't seem helpful to say, oh, this is the number one restaurant of right. 2022 when, you know, 
a restaurant that might have been number one is, you know, not quite back to full speed yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, it was easier that I didn't have to think about it. Um, but it certainly, you know, it made me think a lot harder about what kind of restaurants are on this list. You know, what are people dining at right now? So it, it actually kind of opened up the full list, I hope, to, to you know, I try to make the list as, as sort of small letter D democratic as possible. You know, it's not just all expensive restaurants by any mm-hmm. means. Um, right. And so without having to rank restaurants, I even thought a little harder about, well, what are the kind of restaurants people are going to now? Um, you know, fast casual, you know, there's, we have our new food hall. That's a very different format um, mm-hmm. from what other restaurants in, in the list. So yeah, it made, it made it easier in that I didn't have to like agonize over who was number one and number two, but um, it also, again, you know, just gave me even more restaurants to consider. Yeah, that makes total sense. And I feel like this might sound kind of like a champagne problem to some listeners. Uh, But as you said, that's a ton of restaurants to visit in a very, very short amount of time. And it takes maybe the glamour and sort of the fun that readers may view it to be, the listeners may view it to be, uh, and makes it real work. I mean, how do you, one, balance... um, kind of approaching each place with a a fresh palette, a fresh view when you're on that kind of a crunch? And then also, how do you know what to order? I think the easy way to sort of approach each restaurant is just to let yourself sort of just be sucked into the moment. Um, You know, you can sort of, you know, I can, I'm not going to lie to you or your listeners and say there are times where, you know, I have to go to dinner. I don't want to go to dinner. I'm a human Mm -hmm. being. You know, sometimes I don't want (laughs) to do my job. Um, But, you know, once the great thing about a restaurant, even these days when things are so in flux and like I said, not every restaurant is back to full speed. When you walk into a restaurant, you're walking into sort of a living organism um, and it has its own energy and its own sounds. And that energy very quickly sort of takes you in and gives you, you it brings you into a different moment. Um, and, you know, my job is to get lost in that moment and observe that moment. And that's very easy to slip into. Um, so, you know, no matter how many restaurants I've been to in a day, you know, those last few weeks of this project where, you know, I was like, I cannot eat one more restaurant meal, but I have to, you know, it's, it's stepping into the restaurant and, you know, you hear the music. If it's, if it's a, a higher end restaurant, you know, the lights are low, you know, the, the music might be a little trendy, you know, the, there, there's a definite vibe from, you can see the date nights going on and the groups that are seeing each other for the first time, maybe in a couple of years. And it has an effect on you. So that, that I really rely on that to get me through, um, as you said, these champagne problems. Um, beyond that, um, your second question was, what, how do I know to order? You know, you just try to gauge what a restaurant is doing at any given moment. You know, um, unlike a restaurant review where you go two, three, even four times to get a representative sampling of the menu, mm-hmm. I don't have the time or, you know, frankly, I don't think this is spilling secrets, the budget to do that for every <laughs> restaurant on this list. Um, you just try to get a sense of, you know, if it's, if it's essentially the same restaurant it was two years ago, three years ago, you know, something representative, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, an appetizer, an entree that sort of shows, you know, what it's about, but also maybe gives the chefs some leeway of creativity. Um, you know, do you, do you look for things that aren't on the menus at other Italian restaurants or? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, you, you, I mean, I, ideally you're, what helps these restaurants stand out is that they are not just like those other restaurants in their group or their their class to begin with that makes sense mm-hmm. um but but yeah you might look for a special you know something that shows the chef's creativity you know i i 
I kind of think of it as, you know, for these restaurants that have been around for a while, especially as, you know, does it still feel like, not that they're new and that they look brand new, but that there's still that, that new energy where you can feel, yeah, that the, the kitchen is still invested in what they're doing, that the front of house believes in what they're doing, that it, you know, it, it hasn't become sort of just a machine. Um, and, but yeah, you know, there's no one rule for what to order. I mean, you know, obviously like if you're evaluating a steakhouse on one visit, you're not going to order like shrimp scampi and then say, <laughs> well, this is the worst steakhouse in St. Louis. It's off the list. A salad. Right. Um, but, but yeah, there's, there's some leeway and, you know, there's no perfect way to do this, you know, right. which comes out in any number of ways as you look at the list. But, uh, but yeah, I think that's, it's, it's trying to find something fresh and also representative of the restaurant. Do you try to like, you get to eat basically at all of these different kinds of restaurants, which to anybody sounds wonderful, but you're also doing it in such a short amount of time. Do you try to balance like fine dining with fast casual? Um, or do you try to get like all the fine dining done in one week and, oh, no. <laughs> and then move on? Well, you know, this this year, there was some weeks that were just ridiculous in terms of like how the restaurants lined up. Because, mm-hmm. you know, oh, part of the challenge this year was, you know, restaurants are not operating at their full schedule or not all restaurants were open, you know, as many nights as they used to be. Um, a lot of restaurants, you know, usually I could, you know, get into some places for lunch. Um, you know, not every restaurant is open for lunch and dinner. Um, this year, a lot of restaurants that I, not a lot, but enough restaurants that might usually be open for lunch aren't simply because maybe mm-hmm. workers aren't back where they are yet. Um, so I had to cram a lot more places into dinner slots, right. which made for some weeks where it was just, you know, six nights in a row, um, literally, you know, maybe I'll get a break on the Sunday or Monday when most restaurants are closed, where it would just be, you know, higher end restaurant, higher end restaurant, higher end restaurant, not the way I want to dine personally, even in this job. Um, but, you know, you just try to balance, you know, lunch might be something a little more casual or lighter. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this year was, <laughs> there was no good way to do it in terms of balance or, 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 or that kind of approach. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And tell us a little bit about the criteria and how you develop that for which restaurants are included. Obviously, like we've talked about, there's a breadth of cuisine types and formats, fine dining, food trucks, food halls. You know, how do you compare? I know that's probably a very poor choice of words, but, you know, the, the final list and the balance that you achieve with it. I mean, I think the, the way I sort of have come to answer that question, and it's not going to satisfy every listener, especially those who might already have a list of places that should be on the list instead of what I included. Um, I Ultimately, whatever the category, be it you know the new food hall, food trucks, fast casual, the kind of places that traditionally weren't considered you know on these kinds of lists or the newer fancier places or even older school places you know what is exciting me right now mm-hmm. you know whether it be you know something high end like you know some of the the newer uh, more expensive but but really um, ambitious restaurants like a Vicia or a bull mm-hmm. rush you know those are very exciting in what they're doing with ingredients and approaches to food um, but also you know like I have four I think it's four places from the new food hall in there on the list this year because, you know, it's exciting because the food hall, whatever you think of the food hall, they're giving these these younger chefs or these chefs who haven't had quite a spotlight on them before a chance. And that to me is exciting. And what these chefs are doing is exciting. Um, and so, you know, that sort of is, is how I approach the comparisons. You know, I just kind of honestly at the end take a look at the, at you know, prospective restaurants to be like, what is really exciting me? And it doesn't mean like the places that I, you know, cut in the last two or three rounds weren't exciting. It's just mm-hmm. I have to be honest with myself. What am I really excited to share with with readers? Um, 
and that's how you end up with these hundred, you know, very different, very varied um, uh, locations. And that's one thing I love about the list is that you know, um, my family doesn't necessarily have the budget to eat at Cinder or, or some other places that are a little bit more expensive. Tony's <laughs> right. that I would love to eat at, but the list has so many restaurants that we can and and do eat at pretty regularly. Well, and I think you know one thing that's changed you know, in the, I don't know, 20, 30 years, just in the United States is, you know, restaurants used to be expensive and a special occasion place, you know, really, especially what you talked about in restaurant reviews and and food media. And, you know, now we spend so much money at restaurants, you know, even coming out of the worst of the pandemic that, you know, restaurants can't just be expensive, you know, they have to be these, this everyday thing. And that's, what's exciting is that you can have these everyday affordable places that aren't just cookie cutter, you know, fast food chains or, mm-hmm. you know, even fast casual chains. And, you know, not, not to knock chains as, you know, on the whole. I mean, I've eaten chain restaurants, you know, plenty of times and some of the times they hit the spot. But, you know, you could have that format and still do something new and exciting and, and, and individual. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, deserves a space, uh, excuse me, a space on this list. A- absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, accessibility is so important. And I look at the list and I think just like you, Beth, I mean, there are some of the the more expensive, maybe more storied, maybe not uh, spots on the list that I can't afford to go to regularly. But it is a good reminder, like, oh, I could go for like a cocktail and an appetizer and check this place out. And there's so many places that have you know, really changed their format since the pandemic that I want to get back to. Uh, kind of on that note, what were some of the surprises on the list? You've been covering the restaurant scene in St. Louis for many years, and some of the spots that are, again, more storied on the list you've covered year over year. Uh, were any surprises there or maybe in the newer spots? Um, I don't know. You know, it's weird for me to sort of categorize surprises necessarily because I sort of have control over the process. True. Um <laughs> I, I will say one thing that I, I maybe the best way to approach your question from sort of how I thought about it as the list developed this year is I really try to ask myself, you know, what what are the places, you know, as I said, that excite me, but what are the places that maybe have excited me so much over the years that I've sort of taken them for granted? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and a couple places that I thought about um, over the course of this project were one was the gramophone mm-hmm. um, sandwich shop in the Grove, which I've gotten great sandwiches from so many times. And, you know, I live near there. So especially during sort of the worst of the pandemic and staying inside, you know, I would get takeout from there several times for my family and myself. Um, and I was like, you know what? Like, this is a place that is, is does what it does so well. And I always love it. Um, and it's fun. You know, they do fun, sometimes goofy things with their sandwiches. You know, why don't I include this in the list? Because it really is one of the places that most excites me, even though it is, you know, I'm doing air quotes here, just uh, a sandwich shop. Um, So that was kind of one example. Um, Another place that I put on the list for the first time, even though I've been going there for at least a decade, is O-Wing Plus in Overland, which is a a little wing wing shop with kind of uh, that takes a... Korean flavors, Southeast Asian flavors, um, especially, although you can get sort of standard buffalo wings there. Um, Again, just a great place. Always one of my one or two favorite spots to get wings in St. Louis. Um, You know, I love wings in general. You know, why wouldn't I include this in the list? Only because for, you know, 10 years, it's just become ingrained in my brain that it's just, it's that place. You know, I took it for granted. So I really tried to kind of think a little more freshly about some things that 
or, um, you know, Pizza Gogo. I'll do three oh, examples. Yeah. Um, you know, a place that I was first introduced to pretty much when I moved here, or maybe a few years after I moved here, you know, almost 20 years ago now by a, by a former boss. And, you know, love it. I mean, and it's not quite like any other pizza in, in St. Louis. Um, and, you know, I had it over the course of the pandemic. I was like, this is great. I mm-hmm. love this place. I love the story. I want more people to go there, even though it is kind of an institution, at least in its neighborhood at this point. Um, you know, so that, that's kind of maybe if, if you want to talk about surprises, that's what surprised me as I thought, because I did have a lot of time to think about this list. Um, you know, what surprised me is what crept up in my head. Be like, oh, why not these places that you love and, and have not written about before? Yeah. And I think to your point, you know, those are spots that maybe because they are not the new shiny thing, don't get the press coverage uh, currently that they deserve. But they are these neighborhood staples, these beloved spots, just doing really, really good work, really good food. Right. And it is difficult, you know, to balance out like you said, the shiny new thing with the established places. And, you know, you could very easily draw up a list of 100, you know, St. Louis institutions that would look different from this list that would be just as valid. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's something I have to keep in mind. And I know I get, of all the emails I get in response to this list, it's usually those kinds of, you know, well-known places that that could very well, you know, in another year, um, a different year, I mean, could be on this list. So it's a challenge, you know, to balance like you said, the neighborhood spots, the institutions, the the shiny new things. And then, the, you know, that's sort of the places that have opened in the last five to seven years that are sort of have been driving the conversation during that time. That's sort of the heart of the list. Yeah, that makes total sense. Well, and that kind of leads into another question I had, which is, um, you know, again, having covered the restaurant scene for so long, and we kind of touched on this, that I don't really know if evolution is the right word, but this um, move, you know, from what fine dining used to be defined as into maybe more fine casual. I don't know if that's a cringy term, Uh, (laughs) but, you know, it's evolved over the past few years and certainly the pandemic accelerated that need for transition. Um, You know, what are some trends that you've seen as we have come out a little bit, cannot cannot say fully of the pandemic ever, um, (laughs) but the local restaurant scene changing? Um, I, you know, I don't know about changing in sort of a dramatic, like I said, everybody's coming out of this, you know, fingers crossed coming out of this in their own way. Um, I do think that you're getting a sense of not so much more casual in terms of the, the, the experience uh, of the fine dining restaurant, but certainly an appreciation that, you know, people have sort of a set amount of time that they can have in a restaurant you know, people have a set amount of money they're going to spend. Let's make it, you know, really worthwhile. Like you take a look at what Vicia has done. I mean, you know, Vicia, when it first opened, a few months after it opened, you know, introduced sort of this elaborate, wonderful tasting menu. Um, that kind of approach to dining, for the most part, is is fading a little bit, I think. You know, now you go to Vicia and they do this wonderful sort of family style meal where you get to try almost the entire menu, but it's, you know, a little more compact, a little more easy to manage. You're not, you know, it's not a parade of here's a little course, here's a little course, here's a little course. Um, I think what you're seeing is restaurants being, you know, a little more conscious of what the customer wants. Um, I realize that opens up a whole can of worms of customer <laughs> behavior during the pandemic, which is a whole other issue, not really related to this list. But um, but I think in terms of format, yeah, it's a little looser, a little more, you know, not so much 
let us bow at the altar of the chef. Um, a little more approachable. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I always hate to use that word. Right. <laughs> but, no, but but yeah. No, approachable is a good. I mean, that's a word you hear a lot of chefs and restaurateurs use. There's kind place. of like that um, stereotype that people have about fine dining and the right. tasting menu that you mentioned right. at any restaurant where right. oh here's my one bite and here's my second right. one bite and I I don't often eat like right. that. Basically, like I'm not restaurant critic right. and you know I so, think there are still places you know like I mentioned it already you know a restaurant like Bull Rush or Rob right. Connolly's yes. exploration of historical um, Ozark cuisine you know there you know it's not a restaurant you would go to necessarily every day but when you go there you want that experience of the seven courses with yes. with context um, you know the sometimes experimental techniques or at least progressive techniques so there is a place for it and the restaurants yes. that do it really yes. do it well um, but yeah I think you know that sort of and, you know, St. Louis also has never really embraced, you know, not many cities have embraced, you know, the sheer number of restaurants that want to do the tasting menus, like a New York or a Chicago or a San Francisco or Los Angeles. We're much more of a Midwestern meat and potatoes type of city in some <laughs> ways. But at the same time, I think St. Louis has such a breadth of styles. Right. I mean, Asian cuisine, Indian, um, African even, South American, it, it's every continent. Yeah, yeah and the area. list really reflects that diversity. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we're, we're fortunate that, yeah, we do have an incredible diversity of restaurant styles. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, that's, you know, the, the list sort of reflects the way I like to eat. You know, I like to try all sorts of different cuisines. And I hope, yeah, I hope that comes through in the list because I think, you know, you don't want to pigeonhole not just by, you know, fine dining and fast casual, but you just don't want to do like, you know, the sort of generic American contemporary restaurant. Um, there's plenty of those on here. Yes. But, um, but, yeah, I think you want to explore, you know, whether it's especially the things that we have that other cities don't like, you know, our Bosnian cuisine, for example, um, you really want to uh, enjoy that, respect that, honor that as you can. Definitely. And before we get off of this category entirely, uh, I did want to mention something that stuck with me in the STL 100. And first, I have to preface this with Ian, you're such a great writer, you can, you know, bless your cringe or whatever. But uh, part of the joy to me of reading the STL 100 is really just how beautifully you capture and render the stories of these restaurant owners and this, the delicious food um, that they're serving. And in your review of Indo or recap, perhaps is a better word in this context for the STL 100. In uh, Indo and Botanical Heights, you wrote that from the beginning, Indo has sought the vibe of a joyous dinner party rather than rarefied fine dining. And I did feel like, and as we're talking about this, that that kind of captured this maybe trend toward contemporary, but not fine dining culture. Mm -hmm. Uh, And kind of also to what you were talking about earlier, which is that you feel kind of like a warm embrace when you go into a restaurant that has maybe dropped some of the um, stiffness, for lack mm-hmm. of a better word, or re- refinement. I hate to say that. I really let my Midwest show here. <laughs> um, but still has great, great service. Yeah. And, you know, retains that kind of joyous vibe. Yeah, I think, you know, that's definitely, you want you want people who are, you know, as excited about, part of that energy I talked about earlier is, you know, you can sense when the people working at the restaurant, you know, and again, you don't know what's going on in their heads for real, but when they can sort of convey an excitement about the food, the experience that that is that transfers to you, yeah. You know, so a place like Indo, where you feel like they really do believe in what the restaurant is doing and, and the quality of the food, and you know, Indo Indo has added you know an expanded sort of outdoor patio that has a very kind of I don't know how to describe the vibe. You just have to kind of be there, but it, it is kind of like this this party, but not like raucous party, just kind of a, a, a fun uh, vibe. But yeah, I think 
it is that kind of warmth of getting back out, of being among people, of, of having, you know, chefs and cooks and, you know, front of house staff who are glad to see you there, um, ideally. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, just that, that warmth, like you said, it's a perfect word, that, that warmth of the experience that is, is after the last two years is, is, you know, you really, when you feel it, you really feel it because you've missed it. Yeah. And you also wrote about Crown Candy, which is such an institution, but you wrote about taking your daughter there for her first time. And that really, to me, captured kind of the essence of returning to restaurants after the pandemic. I know you have two young children. Mm-hmm. You were really careful. Yeah, I mean, pandemic. I, uh, you know, I did not go into a dining room for over a year. Um, right. You know, because even after um, I was, you know, fully vaccinated, I, my my daughter wasn't vaccinated until this fall, and then mm-hmm. my my son is still too young to be vaccinated, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I was careful, and you know, my even once I started going back to dining rooms, um, you know, my kids didn't. I, I think I didn't take my daughter to a restaurant until maybe shortly after she'd been vaccinated, and then the Omicron surge hit. Um, so yeah, you know, this is it was it was eye-opening because you know you take for granted you know especially when you have a job like mine you take for granted going to restaurants then after two years you know or a year and a half when you're having the dining room you have that sense of oh i'm back but it still doesn't quite capture the experience of you know taking somebody who's you know had barely been to restaurants to begin with to a place like crown candy where they walk in and their eyes are just open (laughs) wide because you know all the candy. You got Andy Candy there. Literally, literally yeah. the owner was there, you know, yeah. mixing the milkshakes right there. You've got the candy there. You've got, you know, it's it's crowded. So you've got that energy of people again, maybe for the first time in a while. Um, yeah. So it was important to me to, to just capture that moment because, you know, a restaurant is more than just the great food right. and the great service. It's it's an energy again and you know it's it's got to the memories right or it's it's the vibe as the kiddos would say um <laughs> the vibe shifting i think the yeah. kiddos are also saying that yeah so you know we have to is that, i hope vibe that's check. our yeah is that our uh is that our allotment of cringe for this episode yes um, we can move on from that oh if you need more i can provide it <laughs> we're good at that but no Ian, i think that really hits on something you know i think a lot of great restaurants that we were great meals we've had with family and friends at restaurants we remember the food uh but so often it's more we remember how the restaurant made us feel like how the service made us feel we really remember those special times with family and i think that that is so resonant and a big piece of what we missed during the pandemic about dining was an opportunity to make memories and you know if if the food is good all the better i know it's probably a poor way of read the sno 100 um but that is such a big piece of it and when you talk to chefs and restaurant owners at their core they do all of this because they love being able to feed people uh, and get people excited about the food that they're serving but also the hospitality element of the work that they do Mm -hmm. um so i think Beth is totally right. That kind of stuff sticks with you. It makes you excited to get back out with your family and friends to dine. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, part of what was difficult about this process was for, you know, logistical reasons, I was going to a lot of these restaurants by myself. So it was kind of, you know, fascinating both to experience what you're talking about, but also kind of see it more objectively to see how the restaurants were adjusting to having that energy again, having those people back in and, and, you know, sort of seeing them learn again how to manage a room and, you know, create that warmth while also, you know, 
probably dealing with having half as many servers as they would like or half as many line cooks. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, if this is a testament to anything, this list, I hope it's a testament to that these restaurants, you know, when you walk into a restaurant with your family for these experiences you're talking about, you know, and you had that experience, you know, maybe keep in mind that these restaurants are providing that, you know, a lot of them at diminished capacity right now, um, you know. And so when you really, you know, I would Maybe the best way to sort of address what your point is that, you know, if you have that experience wherever, a restaurant on this list, a restaurant you go to every week, wherever, you know, let them know when you're having a great experience. Because I think it really means a lot, um, you know, because these places are all, you know, I don't have to tell you how restaurants have struggled over the past two years. But, you know, they're still, you know, ask a chef what they need. And it's, you know, two line cooks, you know, a server, et cetera, et cetera. So let them know that, you know, especially if you know that they're operating with with fewer staff than they would like that you know hey you guys really pulled it off tonight you know we felt yeah. so at home etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, i think that that means a lot um to the restaurants and, the, and their owners and their staff i'm sure we've taken much more of your time than we needed to the only other question which is maybe not even a fair one is kind of what you got coming up next and or the kind of ways that you see maybe you know things trending in 2022 you know, that's I I can rephrase it as a real question and not like this. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, just in terms of coming forward, you know, I am honestly just curious to see, you know, what what the new restaurants that open over the next, let's say, six to nine months. Um, you know, do do you see some chefs trying to be a little more ambitious um, or are we going to settle into kind of a period of, um, you know, not necessarily comfort food, but, you know, uh, uh, comfort dining somehow? I guess yeah not you know finding a balance between chef's ambitions and customer expectations you know mm. um, I think you know a year ago last summer um, before the delta wave you know I thought the, you know you felt this energy like oh everyone's going to be back out you know it's going to be the hot vac summer uh, everybody's <laughs> going to be back out restaurants are going to be crammed you know there's going to be tinder dates at every other table um, and then you know I don't know if it necessarily worked out that way um thanks to the various waves uh, that have happened since then. But um, I, I do wonder, you know, what what an ambitious restaurant of the next year or two will look like. You know, will you see chefs who are willing to take a chance? And, you know, maybe there's an opening now for some younger chefs um, or some chefs who maybe haven't had a chance to open their own restaurant to sort of, you know, to make a, a statement for themselves. Um, yeah, I think it's wide open. I think that's what's most interesting about right now. You know, it's it's... The industry can go anywhere. And I think the other thing to watch is, you know, how do restaurants recalibrate themselves for, you know, a full labor market or a full employment market where, you know, they might not be able to find everybody they want, you know. Right. Do they change, you know, do they pay more? Do they offer more benefits? I mean, you know, the restaurant industry kind of worked on a very specific model for a long time that, you know worked sometimes I mean you know if you've worked as a server you know you could walk out of a busy restaurant with a lot of cash in your hand mm -hmm. but on a given you know Saturday night but that's not the same as having healthcare, right so I think restaurants also you know here and elsewhere in the country really have to think about the model they do business and you know mm -hmm. whether that means restaurants that run on smaller staffs with smaller menus because of food costs um, so yeah I think the two things to look for in the next year let's say are you know, how do restaurants develop their ambitions in this sort of new era? And also, how do restaurants develop or not um, their business models to account for, you know, labor uh, and food costs if inflation continues or at least doesn't get any, you know, 
doesn't diminish any um, what that looks like. So I think that's what I'm most watching for the next, let's say, year. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's I hadn't even thought about kind of what's coming. Thank you, Liz, for that question. Oh, yeah. Well, and I'm super excited, too. You mentioned earlier concepts like the food hall that allow, you know, there's a, a much more affordable barrier to entry for chefs and restaurant owners. And a little bit to what you're saying, it doesn't help with the inflation costs, I am sure. But with staffing, you can run a tighter ship because it's a stall inside of a food hall and maybe allows chefs who haven't had the flexibility with their own concepts because they have to maintain to be able to maintain the business um, to experiment a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And I think you also see, you know, one of the, before the food hall opened, one of the more interesting places to open, I thought, was the food truck park mm-hmm. on Nine Garden. And now there'll be the second one out in Cottleville, uh, Frankie Martin's Garden. Because again, you, right, you you have these smaller things, which are not that a food truck is easy to run by any means, especially once we get into the summer season. <laughs> I was going to say August uh, in St. Louis. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, you know, these parks, like the food hall, you know, gives you this concentration where you can go and discover something new. Um, and I think that's what's really exciting about my job is always, you know, discovering something new um, and these places that give you an opportunity, I think is a real selling point for these parks and, and halls. And, you know, if you can make if you can't get people out to restaurants necessarily right away, you know, getting to a place where you can bring the family and, you know, the kids can go get a waffle while you go get, you know, Yucatecan food from mm-hmm. Soresta at the food hall. Um, it's a win win. So, yeah, that's. That's another thing I'm very excited about in the last couple of years, these developments of these sort of Communal almost. (laughs) Communal, yeah, communal. Communal spaces. Good way of putting it, Liz. That's awesome. Um, Well, Ian, thank you so much again for joining us. I don't know about both of you, but I am ready for lunch now. I am am very ready for lunch. (laughs) Where are you going for lunch? I can't say because then they'll know they're being reviewed. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, you'll have to go to stltoday.com in a week or two and find out. And you can find the list at stltoday.com slash STL100. Um, Thank you again for joining us. Thank you for letting me speak. I appreciate it. And listeners, remember that Liz and I will be back not next week, but the week after. Yeah, look forward to it. Thank you, everyone. Have a great week.